This episode of the JomoCast is sponsored by Freedom. Freedom is an easy to use app that allows you to block distractions across all of your devices to work and live distraction free. Visit freedom.to slash Jomo to learn more. Many of us are entering 2022 optimistic, but weary. I have felt this weariness in my bones. But you know the good thing about weariness? We must lay down our load and ask for help. We must surrender. And on the other side, we can find a fresh kind of freedom. I can't think of a better guest to kick off the new year than poet Maggie Smith, author of the runaway success Keep Moving and the new Keep Moving journal. In true poetic fashion, Her focus is less on achieving and more on trying, because all we can ever do is try, right? Try to write a few good lines, try to launch a business, try to love better. I love Maggie's lightness. She roller skates, she loves live music. She's weathered many storms and parents solo. Maggie carries good burdens with grace. I began the JomoCast in 2019 with a vision to inspire you to embrace the joy of missing out on the right things and take action to thrive in a digital age. At the core, the Jomo movement is about freedom, freedom to know what matters most to you and having the power and courage to pursue those things without fear. That's why I'm so excited to have Freedom sponsoring the next three episodes of the podcast. You can look forward to interviews with Maggie Smith, Freedom CEO Fred Stutzman, and Guardian columnist Oliver Berkman, author of 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals. Let's begin 2022 with a simple commitment to do more of those things that bring joy. Keep moving. My name is Christina Crook and I am the author of The Joy of Missing Out. I want to welcome you to the JomoCast, a podcast for founders and creators seeking joy in a digital age. Jomo is the joy of missing out on the right things. Things like toxic hustle, comparison, and digital drain to make space for life-giving commitments that bring us peace, meaning, and joy. Maggie Smith, welcome to the JomoCast. Hi, thanks for having me. Where am I speaking to you from today? I am in Bexley, Ohio, which is um, a suburb just outside of downtown Columbus, Ohio, smack dab in the middle of the state. In your home office. In my home office, correct. Your drafty home office (laughs) with a turquoise, what looks like a rotary phone, but a landline. That's interesting. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Because this is a podcast about technology. These themes are going to emerge throughout our conversation. But I want to start with some rapid fire questions. The first of which is on a Saturday afternoon, where can we find you? Uh, Probably on my couch, which is a large yellow sectional in the room directly behind me with my Boston Terrier and probably my two kids all smushed up on two cushions, even though there are like seven cushions available 
probably all reading together or watching some ridiculous movie. I love it. Okay, what gets you up Monday morning? Uh, my alarm. <laughs> and then I have to wake up my kids for school. <laughs> What's one thing people wouldn't know if they followed you online? Oh, that's a good question. I feel like people know uh, probably too much. <laughs> um, I have no idea what they don't know. I mean, I don't think I'm, I'm intentionally keeping things from people. I mean, I guess they, they might not know like what a sweet tooth I have, although perhaps that is, is known. Like the fact that I'm... I think it's, I think it's known. Okay. It's known. I, I think I feel, I feel like I've seen things about ice cream, definitely about ice cream, okay, I'm definitely not... treats being dropped off on your front door. <laughs> okay. Step. I'm not hiding. Okay. People see, I don't even know what people don't know. I thought I was like, I thought I was really keeping that on the DL, but apparently not. I'm a vegetarian. I don't know if that okay. comes across. Yep. Online. I didn't know that. Okay. See, okay. There. Um, and vegetarians can also have sweet tooths. <laughs> mm -hmm. I feel like you have even a more reason to have a sweet tooth if you're a vegetarian. Yeah. You have to indulge. That's it. And then finally, what brings you most joy and how do you prioritize it? Oh, headspace mm. brings me the most joy and it doesn't necessarily even mean writing headspace it just means not feeling mind cluttered not feeling overly full or harried which is a tricky thing to get and i'm so glad to get it and so it might just be taking a long walk with music playing in my ears or you know, hanging out and playing cards with my kids one day and just sort of like knowing there are stuff I should be doing, but deciding just not to do it. I love that answer so much. Okay, thank you. Yeah. That is the end of the rapid fire round. Did I pass? <laughs> <laughs> you passed with glowing colors. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. So I just want to get you to take us back to the day you first wrote the words, keep moving. What was happening that day, that first post that you wrote? Yeah, that would have been the fall of 2018. And I don't know how that's been three years. Time has gotten incredibly distorted, I think, over the past couple of years in particular. But my now ex-husband and I were getting divorced, but we were still living together in this very house and not speaking. And I wasn't sure how to function as a human being or as a writer or as a mom or as a daughter or a friend or a neighbor or a cook or anything really. And so I wrote something to the tune of, you know, take your grief and anger and burn it as fuel to keep moving. And it was just like, how do I take this stuff that seems to be sort of weighing me down like a cinder block and actually use it? Like, mm -hmm. how do I metabolize this experience in a way that is productive? And so that was really, I just wrote myself a little pep talk and posted it on Twitter. I don't even think I was sharing them on Instagram in the beginning. I didn't, I didn't know it was going to be a thing, as the kids say. And so I just, I wrote it that day and no one knew what was going on. Um, I hadn't told anyone outside my immediate family what was going on. And so people were like, oh, she seems to be going through something. But it felt really good to just come clean in a way about struggling. And so I did it again the next day. And Keep Moving just became the thing I put at the end because it was, um, I was self-pep talking. 
And I needed to find a way to kind of move forward and keep my eyes on the horizon rather than doing the thing that I think in hard times is really tempting, which is checking the rear view constantly Hmm. and, you know, craning my neck and thinking, but what if and why did and but and just sort of keep moving in a forward direction because that's the only direction time moves. And so we kind of need to go with it. Mm -hmm. And so really that's, it was just, um, I don't know how to deal. I don't know how to process all of these big feelings. What do I do? And it became a daily online practice sort of accidentally and organically, both because it felt good for me to do it and because people responded in a way that felt positive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was there something important for you in doing it publicly to begin with? Because you obviously could have written that on a scrap of paper or in your journal on a document. Was there something about actually posting it to Twitter? Was there an intentionality behind that? You know, it's funny. I, as someone who has just published a journal, I don't really write just for myself. Hmm. Um, I, I never have. Uh, I, I didn't have like a diary as a kid. So when I write something even though it goes in my notebook. I mean, I just, I write longhand. When I write something and I put it in my notebook, my thinking is always someday that will make it into a poem, an essay, a story, a play or whatever. And so writing it down, I don't even think it occurred to me to just put it someplace private. It was just like, okay, so this is what it is. Here's this thing, I'm handing it to you. And, you know, thinking about it a little bit later and reflecting back on it, I think there was maybe an impulse to not, be two different people. Hmm. And I was suffering a lot personally. And yet in my public life, and not just on social media, but just like at the grocery store or with friends, I was putting on a brave face and sharing poems and talking about my kids and sort of acting like everything was fine, perhaps out of denial, but perhaps out of just like, if I say something's wrong, then it's true. Mm, yeah. You know, like, well, as soon as it comes out of my mouth and people know, then I can't fix it and pretend that nothing ever broke. Right. It's real. And so I think there was also part of me that realized that I needed to align my public and private selves in a sort of more transparent way than I had been doing for the last, the previous several months. I'd like to tell you about a wonderful tool developed by a supporter of the JomoCast. We've talked a lot about how social media and mobile apps are designed on purpose to be habit-forming, distracting, and to let us thoughtlessly lose hours of our day. Part of cultivating intentional tech use means taking control back from influences like this and not letting them get in the way of what really matters. The Freedom app works across all your devices at once. Mac, Android, anything you've got. Freeing you from the distractions that you choose. You can block time-wasting sites and apps or the entire internet for a deeply productive, focused session. Freedom gives you complete control of how much help you need and when. With a premium Freedom subscription, you can schedule daily or weekly sessions across specific sites, apps, and devices. Freedom users report regaining about two and a half hours of productive time every single day. Wow. Because I believe in never advocating something I don't value myself, I've been using Freedom and had a wonderful first experience with it. After choosing to block all distracting apps, 
I later tried opening Facebook and got the message, you are free, do what matters. I can't think of any purer expression of JOMO than that. Give freedom a try with a special JomoCast discount. Install and upgrade to a premium yearly or forever plan for 40% off with code JOMO, J-O-M-O. Find out more at freedom.to slash JOMO. That's freedom.to slash JOMO. I encourage you to give freedom a try. I love that you're sharing that because, of course, this is one of the massive dilemmas in the social media landscape in terms of the highlight reel, right? Yeah. (laughs) Only posting. The sizzle reel. The sizzle reel, (laughs) as we like to call it. I remember the first time I realized, like really understood that disconnect. I had moved from Vancouver. We live in Toronto now. So that's, you know, almost a continent away from my hometown. And at that point, I was sort of keeping up with all my siblings who were back in British Columbia. And the photos were saying that my eldest brother in Whistler, British Columbia was living his best life with his young family and this and this and that. And I was reflecting on that to my mom. And then she shared with me that in fact, you know, not everything was as it seemed. And in the background, there was so much else, so many hard things going on. And I think that is a brave and courageous thing to do to bring those things into alignment. And it's not an easy thing to do. And we can get into a conversation around oversharing and all these different things. I personally think that the more that we can bring those public and personal personas into alignment, the more free we become. I agree. I mean, I I think, you know, selfishly, it feels better to not be lying, (laughs) even by omission about what your life is like. I think it's just, you know, feeling like you're sort of separating yourself out like an egg is is strange. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's helped me in the past and it helps me now when I see someone say, hey, I'm going through this thing. And even if it's not the thing I'm going through, it makes me feel less alone in my stuff because I think that one of the dangers of social media, and there are many, and as there are many perks, but one of the dangers is if the space is so over curated that we can be under the illusion that everybody else has it together and that we mm-hmm. are struggling alone and that like, well, so-and-so's kids seem like they're really behaving and they don't refuse to wear their winter coats to school because look, they're wearing their winter coats. And -and so-and-so's marriage seems so, they've been together for 20 years and look how cute they look at each other at dinner and and look at the meal that so-and-so made and look at this and look at this and oh, this person has an agent and this person just got a book deal and oh, it's a very nice deal. Oh, that's (laughs) great for them. Let me Google that. Oh, that's very good for them. So I think just... You know, we're not doing Mm. ourselves or anybody else any favors by sort of like being the duck that like looks very serene on the surface and not showing how quickly we are paddling (laughs) underneath the water. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I have a curiosity about you as a poet and your public persona, specifically, you know, through social media. And I wanted to share a quote from poet Aaron Bell's The quote is this from Aaron Bells. These online outlets to me feel like wraiths that suck out my secrets, my Mm -hmm. lies, my wit, and with all that, my sense of what ought to be. Without those things, I can't hope to produce authentic poems. Mm. End quote. 
And my question for you is this, you know, you're a writer and a teacher and a parent, and you also seem very socially active, not just online, but also in your community. How do you protect the poetry? Oh, that's a, I mean, that's the struggle. I mean, that's why I think headspace is, is the thing, because the key really is protecting the inner life. I mean, that's yeah. where the, like the little furnace inside where the poems get made, that little furnace needs time and uninterrupted time and space. And that is in this world of everything all the time. And when parenting young people and when single parenting young people um, and when being self-employed, which is like in theory, very lovely, but also um, you're your business and you're never off because your boss is terrible because it's you. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to sort of carve out the space. And I read some, someone said something and this, it's been years on Twitter, which was, don't ever tweet something that should be a pitch or should be an essay or should be a poem. And I think about that sometimes. Like, is there something I'm thinking out loud online for free that I should be thinking on paper and maybe trying to actually make something out of? And I realize how funny that is, given that my book, Keep Moving, was born on the internet. But that was a complete accident. And I do think mm -hmm. at a certain point, I thought people are asking for a book. It's kind of becoming unwieldy for people to search Twitter to find this one quote that their friend told them they should read or to like have to live by texting screen grabs back right. and forth. And so it makes sense to try to build something bigger and more out of this daily practice. And that's something I think about is, you know, what what are we doing in that space that is actually should be saved for our quote unquote work? And also what mm -hmm. energy are we expending in that space that could be better used to produce our work or frankly, to do anything else, to roller skate, to go to the bakery, to play Uno with our kids. To, I mean, to do anything. I mean, I think a lot about time and what I'm doing with it and what I'm not doing with it. And the fact of the matter is, any time I spend on anything is time I'm not spending on something else. Mm -hmm. And I think about that a lot. And it makes me fairly selective about what I say yes to, because saying yes to that means implicitly saying no to a whole lot of other things, including the little furnace that makes the poems. Mm-hmm. Do you have a regular rhythm to your day or your week creatively or digitally? Do you have sort of <laughs> set patterns, ways of being? No, I have no structure, which is funny because I'm like really type A and my childhood nickname was Checky Listy <laughs> um, because I was such a list maker. That's something that maybe people didn't know. Yeah, people might not know that. Um, Checky Listy. Checky Listy. And I was not the first in my family. My maternal grandmother was Checky Listy the first. I was Checky Listy Jr., but no, I have no structure. I mean, my, my structure, honestly, is my kids' lives. That is what structures my day. So I wake up, I pack lunches, I get them off to school. I have a certain amount of time before I have to pick them up. And in that time, I do whatever I want. And so it's somewhat guided by deadlines. You know, if there's something that's really screaming at me, I have to get it done. And it's somewhat guided by my own ability to carve out the kind of headspace I need. I tend to be better with my own creative work in the morning if mm. I don't let the rest of the day kind of chew at me too much early on. So if I can get up, get the kids off to school and start writing, 
I'm better off than if I spend the first hour doing email and Twitter and everything else. And then I feel like I've sort of like tainted the water (laughs) and I can't quite get back to that place until sometimes in the evening. And so sometimes I get a second wind or at least a a second shot at the creative stuff after 8.30 or so when the house is, is quiet again. But I don't write every day. I don't have certain times of day that I do certain kinds of things. I don't set timers. And actually, anyone listening to this who's expecting an email from me or really <laughs> anything is like, oh, this tracks. Um, because yeah. I'm, I'm really... Yeah, I'm not I'm not the headspace. Yeah, I'm not I'm not great. At, I'm not the most organized person. But you you get so much done. You teach, you publish. So something's working. Something's working. I have a sort of running to-do list in a Word document. Like I look at it and then I realize like, "Oh, wait, it's so funny how last Wednesday I had this list of five things that's still there." <laughs> and it's now this Friday or and so then I just like change the date And then I, I'm like, I just kind of carry it forward, you know, like, well, maybe I'll get to some of that tomorrow or wow, that was due yesterday. I should probably go ahead and attend to that. And the rest of it, I can sort of semi-procrastinate until somebody comes asking for it. And you do have a team, right? And so there are those people asking for it. There are people, I mean, I don't have an assistant or anything. So if you're not getting an email, it's because I'm not checking my email. But yeah, I mean, my, my agent's pretty good or and my editor's pretty good about being like, hey, remember when you said this blurb for this person was going to be done? Or remember when you were going to sign this and scan it and send it back? And so I feel like I do a lot of, thanks for your patience. Here is that thing that you've been waiting for. On the bright side, I've written two poems, but yes, I'm sorry. I Yeah. I do hope you put that in the emails. <laughs> <laughs> and that feels a little ma- like emotionally manipulative. Like I would have Forgive my absence. Sooner, I just crafted two. <laughs> I was working on a sonnet, so I did not respond to your, your request. <laughs> You're Maggie Smith. You can say those things. <laughs> Does Maggie Smith get FOMO? If so, from who or what? Oh, gosh. You know. And you don't have to name names. Yeah, I do. I mean, I I live in Columbus, Ohio, which is my hometown. I've lived here my whole life. I love it. I have no regrets in that regard. I single parent two children who are with me like 90% of the time. And so do I get out very often? I do not. Um, Am I traveling a whole lot? Nope. And if I do, it's probably for work. And I have Mm -hmm. to ask my parents to take my kids. Yeah, I definitely have that. Like, ooh, a little more freedom would be delicious. But I also know that like life comes in in waves and Mm. I have more freedom now in some ways than I did when I had a four-year-old and a newborn. So it's just kind of one of those things. And we're all kind of living that now. Like we're all cooped up and not doing as much as we once did and going the places we once went and seeing the concerts we once saw. And so, you know, it makes me in some ways feel better that even the people who have a little bit more personal freedom than I have, we're all kind of, you know, diminished in our social lives right now. Yeah, no question. Though it seems weird knowing these things about you, because you shared them on the internet, but it does look like you have been out to some concerts that being active sort of culturally in your community is a pretty high value for you. Is that true? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. 
yeah, I try to get out as much as I can. And if I if I have to get a babysitter, I get a babysitter. Although recently I just took my children out and my son was like falling asleep in my lap. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I, I think we have to finally call it a night. It's 10. <laughs> it's best is bedtime. But yeah, I mean, as much as I'm able to do and it's good for them too. Oh, yeah. you know, especially now that I mean, my both of my children are fully vaccinated and we can wear masks because they do at school and they're used to it. And it's not a big deal. And they're great about it. And, you know, as long as I feel like we're safe, I I really like to get out and be able to do things with them too, just so they can have cultural experiences. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. What age are they? Uh, nine and 13. I have a 12 year old, a 10 year old and an eight year old. So we're so in that similar. same. Yes, you get it. Still so much work, but quite a lot more freedom than the early days. Yes. Do you consider yourself an optimist? <laughs> yes, I I've heard think you I do. call yourself a recovering pessimist. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say I'm a recovering pessimist. Is that the same thing? I think I do consider myself an optimist. I'm like a realist slash optimist. I still have more worst case scenario thinking that I am comfortable with, not because I believe that it will happen, but because I need to keep it in mind. And I think that's the checky listy in me that will never really go away mm. is the sort of always thinking about like all of the possible scenarios. But I think a difference between me now and me maybe five years ago is that I don't default to the worst case scenario now. I can hmm. think about everything that could happen in a situation, whether it's personal or professional or with the kids or health-wise, and I don't automatically assume, as I might have earlier on, like, well, it's definitely gonna be this one bad thing. My thinking now is, well, okay, it could be bad, but my life experience to this point has shown me that most of the time, it's not the worst thing that happens. It might not be the best thing. It's probably somewhere in the middle. So let's just, you know, assume that that's probably what it's going to be and yet stay aware mm. rather than, you know, how do I be more responsive rather than reactive? How do I stay aware rather than being sort of like hyper vigilant or anxious? You know, awareness and anxiety feel different in the body and it's easy for me to toggle between them, mm. even in a single day. And I really have to try to keep myself out of that one space and, and in the other. And do you think that the process of writing Keep Moving, first the series of posts and then the book have led you into that new space? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I didn't know the science behind it when I was doing it. I just thought, oh, it's, it's really funny, Maggie, how you're writing these little notes to yourself every day and it's helping you feel better. It's really interesting how you tell yourself every day that it's going to be okay. And now after four months of doing that, you actually believe it. And of course, now I know, well, there's science behind that. Like we can actually rewire our brains by doing positive things on the regular. And I love that. Like, I love the idea that changing your mind is not just a phrase. It's something that is hmm. physically physically possible. Like you can rewire your neural pathways for positivity as opposed to negativity by doing that every day. I just stumbled into that completely blindly. But I do think that writing that book 
was key for me. And also just kind of forcing myself to stew in my own juices, if that makes sense. Because I think, you know, that year I wrote that book was in some ways like the worst year of my life. And it's not like the last couple of years since then have been gravy. Um, But that one was the worst. And if I had had a different kind of job, I think about this all the time. If I had had a different kind of job, I would have probably stuffed all of that down to go do my job because I would have had to to function. And then I don't know when I would have processed all of that. Like what in my quote unquote free time? Like, oh, I can't wait to come home after working a 10 hour day and process in the evenings. No, I would have been eating ice cream and watching Netflix like anyone else who's really sad. So I think in some ways having to, you know, making my grief process, my work that year sometimes felt a little masochistic, I won't lie, but it also, I think, helped me process things and sort of metabolize things at a quicker rate than if I had not been doing that creatively. Mm. Can I read some of my favorite lines from Keep Moving? I would love that. (laughs) Keep Moving the journal. That's what I'm reading from, which is what we're talking about today. Maggie Smith's beautiful new journal, perfect for the new year, but also get the full book, uh, which I don't have here with me because we're in temporary housing right now. It is in my stack of books at the other house. But I wanted to read a few of my favorites. And then I wanted to ask you about your favorite. Does that sound okay? Yeah. All right. I love this one. Forget sensible neutrals. Go with the orange chair, the yellow cabinet, the turquoise dresser. Surround yourself with color. The more saturated, the better. And do not be sensibly neutral. Be saturated. Keep moving. Here's another. Expect that what you tend to will grow. Expect that what you feed with your care and attention, what you shine your light on, will thrive. Choose wisely. Keep moving. As I read these, can you remember a time when you wrote them or did they kind of blur together? No, I mean, I, I remember writing, especially the one about the colors, because you are it's actually describing pieces of furniture in my actual house. <laughs> And I remember thinking, and and you write about this in Good Burdens, like, you know, really being yourself. And, you know, I I had a period during this time where I thought, you know, I'm not for everyone. Hmm. And actually, that's okay. It's okay that my style isn't everybody's style. If people walk into my house, they might be like, wow, you are not afraid of color. And people do sometimes say that. Or, you know, For a long time, I had a little tiny pixie cut and my arms, which you can't see right now, are covered with tattoos and I have a nose piercing and I, you know, I have funky glasses and, you know, I just do things my way. And I think in my 20s, that made me really nervous and I probably did things Mm. a lot more other people's ways. And there's something about getting older that makes you realize that it's okay if you're not for everyone because it helps you also find the people you are for more quickly. It makes me think not just of, you know, our physical spaces, but digital spaces, because there's a conversation I've had over and over again with one friend. She's a professor at an IT university in Copenhagen. And we talk often about how we feel like we're a vanilla version of ourselves on the internet. Mm. We're just not. It's not in technicolor. It's not the full picture. It's just this like tainted, dulled, sanitized, palatable 
version of ourselves. Yeah. I think there are so few people that do a really, really good job of putting their full selves online. There are a few of them. Yeah. You probably can think of some I can, yourself. I can think of some right off the top of my head. <laughs> Who would you say is when? Um, my friend Saeed Jones is completely himself on the internet. And I think you find quickly how loved you are. And also like, if you are not tepid in your life, whether online or in real life, you will have people who hate what you're doing and who come at you for what you're doing and who don't get your sense of humor and who can't believe you said that thing and used that word or you know, whatever the case may be. And then you will find people who are like, thank goodness somebody is telling it like it is and you're real mm. and I love it. And I, I mean, I really admire that, the sort of courage to be that sort of unapologetically authentic yeah. publicly and just say like, take it or leave it. Yeah, I don't know that I'm quite there. And, and part of it is having children and being like, oh, like what if they saw me make this really inappropriate joke? <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Even though they know I have sort of an inappropriate sense of humor. And actually now I'm thinking that's probably something that a lot of people who know me online don't know is how completely inappropriate my sense of humor is. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've, we're up to three now. Thank yeah, you, we've Maggie. Come, we've come full circle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, you're really check, check, check. You're winning. The, you're winning this. Okay. Next one. Stop waiting for the broken parts of your life to miraculously get fixed. You know the answer. You're going to have to fix them yourself. It may take some MacGyvering, some unlikely materials, some jerry-rigging, but what doesn't? Start now. Keep moving. And this got me thinking, and I write about it in Good Burdens, about this idea of learned helplessness mm. and related to that, wanting to be rescued. And I wondered if that's familiar to you at all, that feeling. <sighs> Who doesn't want that? <laughs> okay, thank God. This is a thank God moment. Yeah. I'm not alone. No, okay, I mean, I think, you know, part of what just scared the hell out of me when I got divorced is like the idea of having to do everything by myself now. Like now I have to be good at everything, but I've only been good at some of the things because someone else has been good at the other things. I'm not great with like, how do I do my like retirement stuff uh, and how do I, what happens when the car light thing comes on or the tires are low or I've never used a weed whacker. I mean, just really, and, and sadly, so much of it was completely gendered. Mm. I found mm -hmm. like what I was felt capable of and what I felt like I needed rescuing with was very gendered. And I had to really reckon with that you know, in my early 40s, like, what have I built? Because I co-created that. Like, I'm responsible. I am at least half responsible for allowing myself to not understand mm. in this way and to not take responsibility for myself in this way. Mm. And yet, as a firstborn and the oldest of three daughters, I'm also really bossy and independent. And I think I know the right way to do most things. I think I'm able to admit when I don't, like even when my daughter brings home math homework and I look at it and I think, I cannot help you. I'm not going to bluff my way through that. And I wouldn't even try. But I do think with a lot of things, if I think I know the right way, I will absolutely tell you my opinion. And so I have, in some ways, the rescue thing is real. But in other ways, I'm like, no, 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 please just get out of my way because I know I know the right way to do this. And I would prefer just to do it my way. 
and reality and relationships that can get you into just as much trouble as wanting someone else to fix things for you is to not letting them Mm. participate in helping to fix things. What do you call these? Do you call them what 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 should I call these little pieces of writing? <laughs> you can, what do you call them? You can call them whatever you want. I mean, I call them notes to self because that's what they were for me. And I've called them self pep talks. But um, you know, some people are like, oh, I love the poems in this book. And I'm like, oh no, no, those aren't poems. And then I thought about it some more and I thought, well, who am I? to tell them what they are. I, you know, I think genre is is a construct too. It's something that we ascribe to things so that people know how to sell books and shelve books. And, and so whatever you want to call them um, that's useful to you is fine by me. Okay, well, I'm going to call it a note to self. These are, I'm reading one more note to self from Keep Moving the Journal. Here it is. Make time to think about your well-being apart from your work, your creative projects, the people who count on you keep moving. And my next question for you, my second last question for you is, do you have a favorite line from keep moving? Maybe even one that you hang somewhere close to you where you see it every day? You know, I don't have a favorite favorite. But (laughs) this is one I think about a lot. You are not betraying your grief by feeling joy. You are not being graded. And you do not receive extra credit for being miserable 100% of the time. Find pockets of relief, even happiness, when and where you can keep moving. I've thought about that a lot, especially over the past couple of years. You know, people will ask, how are you doing? And when you're in the middle of a pandemic, it feels almost tacky to say, I'm great. How are you? Yeah. Or I had a great day or what a fun weekend or, you know, I had such a great afternoon with my kids or or whatever. It, it seems like we're almost feeling guilty for enjoying things because there's so much suffering. It seems like none of us should be able to enjoy anything unless everyone's yeah. enjoying everything. And that's just not true. And so being able to claim and sort of carve out happiness and joy or relief or peace or whatever, whatever you call it in small or large amounts, as much as humanly possible. I don't know, I think it's really important. And I'm, I'm really trying to lean into that and not feel bad about it, because there is no grade. We're like, well, you're grieving really well, because you're just miserable. That doesn't make any sense to me. So that one is one I've been thinking about a lot. Thanks for sharing that. This is the JomoCast, where we explore how embracing the joy of missing out on the right things helps us thrive in the digital age. And my question, my last question for you is, how would you define Jomo or what does Jomo mean to you? Well, I'm an introvert. So missing out for me is a way of life. (laughs) (laughs) No, all the introverts said, hey. Yeah. Um, There's That's something I'm going to put on my coffee mug. Um, Yeah, I mean... The joy of missing out is, is like, a, it's real for those of us who need a lot of alone time, you know, and you've written about that need for solitude. Like, I need it desperately. It is like air for me, time alone. So for me, the joy of missing out is, it's not even really missing out. It's the joy of opting out of X so that I can opt into Y, whatever that Y is. You know, I, I've lived my year of yes. Like I lived a year where if people asked me to go do something, I said yes. If people, just because I felt like I was so inclined to withdraw and hide 
that I tried to make myself do the opposite. Hmm. And I've decided that 2022 is going to be my year of no, and not in a negative way, but in that sort of Jomo way, which is I'm going to say no to more things that don't matter to me personally so that I can say yes to the things that do, because every yes to something is also a no to something else and vice versa. I want to be really intentional in the new year about how I spend my time and my energy. That's so wise. Maggie Smith, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you. This has been a joy. I'm so glad we got to chat. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review it, or share it with a friend. You're the key to spreading JOMO. The internet is not what it used to be. You need a roadmap to thrive in the digital age. I've created a new free JOMO guide and it's available now at christinacrook.com. JOMO is the joy of missing out on the right things, but sometimes it's difficult to know what those right things are. I'll guide you through a simple four-step digital house cleaning process to clear away your digital clutter and make it easier to get at what really matters. That's the joy of missing out. Get your free Jomo guide today at christinacrook.com.